What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to The Booch Cast. This week's show is a recap exclusive as we are going to take a look at the grandest stage of them all. Today, we have a recap of WrestleMania 34. That's right, which took place in New Orleans, Louisiana at the Superdome. And of course, yours truly, The Booch, was there at the Superdome for WrestleMania 34. Now, of course, I was there for WrestleMania as well as for a lot of other fun, crazy shenanigans I got involved in that I'll be talking into more detail about on next week's show, so we'll save those little tidbits for later. But today, I'm here to talk about WrestleMania. One hell of an interesting show. I'm going to have a lot of things to say, and I am ready to just get this party started. So, um, real quick, I'm going to be real brief about this. Of course, uh, as you guys know on the Boochcast, I'm not real big on the pre-show. I'm always of the belief that if it's not good enough to be on the main card, it's not worth talking about. So I'm not going to go into too much detail about the pre-show because I'll be honest, I didn't even see the pre-show. Um, by the time while the pre-show was going on, I was finding a place to park my car and didn't even get to the building until the matches were officially starting. And you can blame the three people I was with for that because they took forever to get ready. But anyway, I will say real quick that as far as predictions go, the Booch got a clean sweep with the predictions. Uh, Woken Matt Hardy uh, won the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal like I knew he would. Uh, I was not expecting the uh, the alliance with Bray Wyatt, which I thought was great. He kind of helped uh, Matt Hardy win the uh, the coveted trophy, and I look forward to seeing what goes on more with this uh, Woken Matt and uh, Bray Wyatt alliance, but love the fact that he won nonetheless. Then, of course, uh, Cedric Alexander defeated Mustafa Ali to capture the Cruiserweight Championship. I'm glad that Cedric Alexander was able to win the Cruiserweight title and uh, props to him. And then, of course, the Women's Battle Royal, which was pretty much fucking meaningless, but Naomi was able to win uh, the match and eliminate Bayley to 
win the uh, Women's Royal Rumble, which, like I said, doesn't really mean anything. It's a giant waste of everyone's time, but I'm glad that Naomi got the spotlight because she's been my my favorite female wrestler in WWE for the longest time. Someone who I thought for years uh, deserved better treatment. Over the last year, she has gotten much better treatment, and I'm so glad WWE uh, finally saw the light on Bailey. And on that note, we're going to get to the... First official match of WrestleMania on the main card. The only card that truly matters. And we kick things off with the Intercontinental title match. The Miz defends the gold against Seth Rollins and Finn Balor. And this match, surprisingly, was actually very well done. I enjoyed this match from start to finish. Uh, Seth Rollins and Finn Balor definitely uh, stole the show. At one point, The Miz got knocked out of the ring and Seth and Finn got to do their thing for a period of time until eventually the time came for The Miz to run in and break up the three count. And I will say The Miz only had one moment in this entire match where I actually went, holy crap, that was good. And that was when he hit the skull-crushing finale off the top rope. It looked like uh, Seth Rollins was going for some kind of crazy move, and then all of a sudden The Miz ran up, hit the skull-crushing finale, grabbed the back of the head, got the three count, went for the cover, and then all of a sudden, uh, as he was going for the cover, uh, Balor broke it up with the coup de grace. Balor looked for the pin. Rollins eventually curb-stomped him. Then he got to the other side of the ring started tuning up his, the band, and as The Miz started to sit up on all fours, Seth Rollins hit the curb stomp. One, two, three. The winner of the match and the new Intercontinental Champion, Seth freaking Rollins. And the first thing I want to say about this is I'm very, very glad that Seth Rollins got the win. Now, personally, I would have been happy with Finn Balor winning as well, because as I mentioned before, anything's better than that overrated cancer to the wrestling business, The Miz. But I wanted Seth to win so he could become a Grand Slam champion, so he could close out that accolade. Also, I've always said from the very beginning, even back when I hated Seth Rollins, that he was worthy of being the Intercontinental Champion. Why? Because he's a phenomenal in-ring wrestler. He's always been a great technical wrestler. However, his promos sucked for a very long time, and he was getting a lot of nepotism for being Triple H's boy. Not just in storyline, but also outside of the story of the storylines, which is why I was not fond of his reign as WWE Champion. I felt it was too much, too soon, shoved down your throat scenario, and he was nowhere near ready for it. The Seth Rollins of today... Could definitely hold his own as a universal champion or if he went back and became a three-time WWE champion. But right now, he's in the Intercontinental title picture, which is where he belongs. Because I truly believe now that the IC title is around the waist of a real professional wrestler and not some reality show reject who does this for play-play, we can now actually start seeing great Intercontinental title matches again. And I feel like Seth is going to do what The Miz claims that he does, but has never truly done, and that is make the Intercontinental Championship prestigious. Make the Intercontinental Championship mean something. Make the Intercontinental Championship be the focal point of a show now that it's around the waist of a true wrestler and a true champion. And also, I want to thank the WWE from the bottom of my heart for making this the opening match so we can get The Miz out of the way and enjoy some real wrestling and enjoy some wrestling. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match, 
of the evening. We've got the SmackDown women's title match. Charlotte defends the gold against Asuka. Now, this match, from a technical wrestling standpoint, was five stars off the charts. These two women definitely tore the house down with this match, especially when Charlotte hit that Spanish fly off the top rope. I was very impressed. As they both are slow to get up, Asuka catches Charlotte in a submission, which I thought was great. Uh, Charlotte breaks out, goes to the figure four. Asuka breaks free. Uh, Charlotte comes back with a spear, looks at the figure four again, and this time she locks it in. She makes it a figure eight, and to the shock of everyone in the building, including myself, Asuka taps out the winner and still women's champion, Charlotte. This right here was crazy, shocking. I was like, what the fuck? But here's something interesting that I realized. WrestleMania 30 was in New Orleans, and that was the night The Undertaker's streak ended. WrestleMania 34 is in New Orleans, and Asuka's streak ended. Coincidence? I don't think so. All I'm saying is this. If at some point in a few years down the road, if WrestleMania ever returns to the Superdome in New Orleans, watch and see if anybody has an undefeated streak going on. Because I'm pretty sure that's where it's going to come to an end. And just like the Undertaker streak, a lot of people were pissed off when the streak came to an end. I wasn't really all that pissed off. Because I could understand why they gave it to Brock Lesnar. Because it doesn't matter who it was that ended the Undertaker's streak back then. Anyone would have gotten booed. Because nobody ever wanted to see that streak come to an end. Period. So since Brock Lesnar is someone who has a legit background. Has some time in the wrestling business. And doesn't and genuinely doesn't give a shit what other people think about him. I felt he was the right guy to win. Because he can live with the burden. As far as this goes... I have very mixed feelings because on the one hand, I hate Asuka. As I've mentioned a million times before here on the Boochcast, I wasn't a fan of hers in NXT. I wasn't a fan of her undefeated streak. I hate the fact that her promos are absolute shit and her in-ring skills are great, but it's not the whole package, which is why I never wanted her to hold a championship. At the same time, I knew one day Asuka's streak would come to an end, but I did not want Charlotte to be the one to end it. Personally, for me, I wanted to see Ronda Rousey. This was the moment that Asuka should have won the Women's Championship. She should have held this title for a long period of time, and then when the time was right, bring in Ronda, have her beat Asuka, and win the championship. Now, of course, during the year, you would build Ronda up to get there. That way, she's not a champion too early. By the time she gets to Asuka, she's ready, she's willing, and she is able, and I'm not sure, notice I said able and not gable, to get that championship and be worthy of it. And nobody would be pissed off because they would have groomed Ronda into that spot and not rushed her. So that is something that could have been done. But instead, they gave it to Charlotte, who is, of course, as I call her all the time, the false flair. So because she tries to be like her dad, she's nothing like her dad, and I feel like she's only, she's only and the only reason she's there is because her last name is Flair. I truly believe that. And she's someone who... At the end of the day, is not as passionate about the business as everybody else because the only reason she got in the wrestling business in the first place is because her brother died. That's the only reason she's doing this. If Reed Flair was still alive today, there would be no Charlotte. And I truly believe that 
This is Triple H and Stephanie and Vince once again showing nepotism to Ric Flair's daughter by giving her all these accolades, shoving them down our throats that she does not deserve. The fact that she's a five-time women's champion when she's only been and she won most of them back-to-back trading belts being on the roster, trying to make her get rack up a lot of championship reigns like her dad. The fact that she struts to the ring like her dad. She wears robes like her dad. She does everything exactly like her dad. There's nothing original or special or unique about Charlotte at all. She's a carbon copy of her dad. And she does not have the wrestling skills of her father. She might be great in the ring, but she's not Ric Flair great. And I truly believe that that she did not deserve to be the one to end Asuka's streak. This should have been done to really build somebody up. To really build up somebody who can be somewhat credible. Like Ronda Rousey, in my opinion. Bring in an outsider to end Asuka's streak. But instead, they give it to Charlotte, who didn't need it, and they make Asuka the one job she does in the wrestling business, she does on the grandest stage of them all, to somebody who literally, the best word to describe her career is nepotism. I was disgusted by this. I really was. Now, obviously, I can't be too upset about Asuka anymore, because at least now I know she's not going to be some undefeated psychopath who's burying the talent, and I'm hoping that after this loss to Charlotte, Asuka will start having more of a decent win-loss record going forward, especially if she stays on SmackDown, which is what she should do, because she agreed to challenge for the SmackDown women's title, she has no business going back to Raw, there's nothing left for her to do on Raw, she's already run through that whole division. She needs to stay on SmackDown, and she needs to start building rivalries with these women. But I'm feeling that now, like I said, she needs to start having more of a win-loss record. She needs to win some, lose some, win some, lose some, and for God's sakes, learn some English. And learn to speak better English. Like, she gets, they get face-to-face, Oscar on the mic and says... Charlotte was ready for Asuka, congratulates her, they hug, raise their hands in the air, you know, this is ridiculous, uh, it, it was just stupid. Now, of course, as Charlotte makes her way to, uh, upstairs, John Cena, who's sitting in the crowd, because he's gone to WrestleMania as a fan, because as we know, The Undertaker did not answer his challenge, all of a sudden the ref tells Cena something, Cena looks concerned, he gets up, hops over the fan barricade, and runs up the ramp, to the backstage area. So, obviously something's concerning Cena, and of course this is begging the question, is The Undertaker here? Did The Undertaker show up? What's going on? So obviously everyone's intrigued, so I kind of like that, and at that point they might as well put the spotlight on Cena, because everyone's already shocked by what's gone down here, and I'm sure the Charlotte fans are happy, but I'm, I thought I'd be happy to see Asuka's streak end, but I'm not, because it was given to the absolute wrong person, in my opinion. So, we'll see what Asuka does going forward. And at this point, uh, when it comes to Charlotte, I'd say either you have Carmella cash in, you either have Carmella cash in on SmackDown Live uh, after Mania and have her take the belt from Charlotte. Or you just let her hold on to it until God knows when. But either way, I was disappointed. And what really pissed me off the most about this match was the fact that it was the second match of the night. You have Asuka, who won the Women's Royal Rumble, going on to challenge Charlotte. You have 
the woman with the most impressive streak in all of WWE, in all of wrestling, since Goldberg. And you make it the second match of the night, and you end the streak on the grandest stage of them all. Her first WrestleMania is a loss. What was the point? What was the point of building her up to be this monster only to go to the big leagues and have an 0-1 record at WrestleMania? Why did you build her up at all? What was the point? What were you shooting for? To make Charlotte look good in the end? To give the false flair another accomplishment that can be handed to her on a silver platter? Because that's the vibe I'm getting. And also, it makes the Women's Royal Rumble, once again, meaningless. A meaningless fucking trailblazing moment. A meaningless fucking moment. I was disgusted. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. A fatal four-way match for the United States Championship. Randy Orton defends the title against Bobby Roode, Rusev, and Jinder Mahal. And all I gotta say is, this was another great match. Uh, Obviously, a lot of these guys uh, getting their shit in, but still great nonetheless. Rusev massively over with this crowd. Everybody's been chanting Rusev Day. I've seen it all. I heard it in the arena. Rusev Day. Rusev Day. Rusev Day. I heard it on Bourbon Street. Rusev Day. Rusev Day. Rusev Day. Everybody was loving Rusev. And I honestly thought Rusev was gonna win. I really did. And of course, uh, Bobby Roode and Randy Orton, they did a lot of time uh, working together. Uh, Didn't really uh, strike each other that much. Mostly it was just them going after Jinder and Rusev. Jinder and Rusev, of course, not being afraid to mix it up and beat the hell out of each other. Uh, Randy, of course, uh, hits Rusev with an RKO. Jinder hits a running knee to Orton. Orton comes back with an RKO on Jinder, but Rude breaks up the pin. This time, Randy Orton looks for an RKO on Rude, but Rude dodges it, hits the glorious DDT. Jinder breaks up the pin. Rusev hits a big boot on Bobby Rude. Rusev misses a, kiss, misses a kick on Jinder, connects with a second one. Rusev goes for the accolade on Mahal, but Sunil causes a distraction. The distraction leads to Jinder hitting the Colossus on Rusev for the one, two, three. The winner and the new United States champion, Jinder Mahal. And interestingly enough, Jinder Mahal was my original choice back when this was a triple threat match. And I like the fact that they used a sin, one of the Sin brothers to distract Rusev. Because even though a lot of people are pissed off that Rusev didn't win the U.S. title and that he was the one that ate the pin in the Fatal 4-Way, what I like about this is that it potentially sets up a rivalry between Jinder Mahal and Rusev. And it allows Rusev to continue to be a babyface or slowly turn himself into a babyface with this Rusev gimmick, especially with Aiden English as his manager. Now, obviously, Randy Orton is contractually obligated to a rematch. So we're probably going to see Jinder Mahal versus Randy Orton down the road. But if Jinder is able to beat Orton, then obviously Rusev can be worked back into the picture. Now, obviously, I don't see Bobby Roode getting worked back into this picture. Uh, Rusev, at some point, he might get thrown in for a triple threat. I don't know. But as of right now, it looks like Randy Orton has a rematch with Jinder Mahal. It might happen on SmackDown. It might happen at the next pay-per-view. But for now, it's just going to be a crazy moment nonetheless. And I like the fact that Jinder got the win because, obviously, Jinder Mahal is a former WWE champion. And as I mentioned before, SmackDown is the house that AJ Styles built. But Jinder Mahal is living proof. 
that SmackDown is the land of opportunity. Because this is a guy who, before he won that six-pack challenge and later became WWE Champion, he was a glorified jobber in a jobber faction who was out on the indies and finally had a chance to come back. He got in shape. He got a better diet. He reinvented himself, got back in the ring, has this amazing gimmick. It's very entertaining. I know a lot of fans hate him. I don't know why, because he plays this gimmick so well. And now that he's no longer WWE Champion, he can now have a reign as U.S. Champion, which is perfect for him, because he's anti-American. He hates Americans. So as a U.S. Champion, it makes him an even greater heel, and it can eventually lead to someone, preferably American, with the exception of Rusev, taking this person down. Who knows? Rusev might even change his ways about America. Now, obviously, he's not going to be wearing red, white, and blue stuff. He'll still wear the Bulgarian colors, but maybe, just maybe, he'll see the light. You can use this as potential because now Rusev can repent. He can say, hey, you know what? I was wrong about America. America is fantastic. You Americans have embraced Rusev Day. You have given me a new purpose. And you know what? I now stand proudly with the United States of America. I still wear my proud Bulgarian colors. But yet, I I love America. I remain true to myself. But I will never mock your fabulous country ever again. Do something like that. Then you got Rusev. Solid baby face. Solid person. He loves America. Still stays true to his Bulgarian colors. But loves America. Which is what? America being American is all about you can remain you can you can keep you can give your heart to your country of origin But you should always show respect to America if you live in it at least you might not necessarily like that You might not necessarily like the government, but you should always have a love of country You don't have to love the government. You just got to believe in your country And I think if Rusev kind of went that route It could make him a solid baby face to go up against Jinder Mahal and potentially take the U.S. title from him down the road. And uh, then, of course, after that, um, we move on to the next match of the evening. We got the mixed tag match. The team of Stephanie McMahon and Triple H versus Kurt Angle and Ronda Rousey. I will say right now, for everyone listening, this right here was the match of the night. This was the match of the night. No other match on this WrestleMania card added up to a hill of beans when this match took place. This was the highlight of the night. Why was it the highlight of the night? Because Ronda Rousey in this match proved that she belongs in WWE. To every single person out there that has ever mocked Ronda Rousey, made fun of Ronda Rousey, to all the people who said that she was getting an undeserved push, that she was being pushed ahead of all the women on the roster. Why does she get a debut match at WrestleMania? Why is she about to be shoved down our throats? Ronda Rousey shut every mouth that night because she dominated this match. She worked flawlessly in this match. Ronda Rousey proved that she can wrestle and that she can combine her judo skills with the in-ring skills that she's learning at the perform- as she learned at the Performance Center. And I can tell you right now, once Ronda starts to get comfortable on the mic, she will be a star attraction. She will be a main event player. 
She will lead the women's revolution, the women's evolution. She will be the head of the she will be the head of the class. She will be the leader of the pack. Ronda Rousey will blaze that trail because she proved it on this night. The suplexes, the perfect transition into the arm bars, the fact that she got some good shots in on Triple H, you know, Triple H proving that, you know, that she's not afraid to mix it up. Like like Ronda said, let's go, let's go, let's go. And then Triple H pushes the ref aside. Triple H says, all right, you want to fight Ronda? Let's go. Ronda ends up teeing off on Triple H with punches. Triple H tries to kick Ronda. Ronda takes him down and then goes for a Samoan drop. Like she deadlifted Triple H off the fucking ground. The strength of Ronda Rousey was insane. She even did that thing like when John Cena would roll through for an attitude adjustment. Ronda did that for that crazy Samoan drop move that she does. And she took him down. She goes that Samoan drop. Stephanie breaks it up. Stephanie slaps Ronda. Ronda no-sells it. Chases Stephanie around the ring. Catches her at ringside. Beats her down. Then all of a sudden, Kurt walks up behind Triple H and starts hitting suplexes, which is great. Triple H comes back with a face buster. Kurt latches onto him again. Hits a series of German suplexes. The original suplex city. Then Kurt goes for an angle slam. Triple H escapes. He looks for a pedigree. Angle gets out. Goes for the ankle lock. Triple H escapes. Looks for the pedigree again. But Angle once again escapes. Hits the Olympic slam for a two count. Then Stephanie gets in the ring. Stephanie... She tries to kick him. Kurt Angle grabs her leg. The Kurt Angle turns it around. Lock puts Steph in the ankle lock. Triple H breaks it up. Drops Kurt from behind. Triple H approaches Ronda who's crawling in the back. Then Triple H grabs Ronda. Goes to put her in a pedigree. And it looks like she's about to pedigree Ronda Rousey. But instead goes for a powerbomb. Ronda reverses into a hurricanrana, sending Triple H across the ring. Ronda locks in the arm bar. And it looks like Triple H is about to tap to this arm bar, but Stephanie breaks it up, puts Ronda in a choke from behind. Ronda tosses Stephanie down, puts her in an arm bar. Triple H tries to break it up. Kurt catches him, puts him in an ankle lock. Triple H reverses, sends Kurt crashing into Ronda. Triple H shoves Kurt into the ring post. Stephanie throws Ronda into the other ring post. Triple H and Stephanie look to do pedigrees on Kurt and Ronda. Kurt dumps Triple H outside. Ronda backdrops Stephanie. Ronda grabs Stephanie and wants the arm bar. Stephanie puts up a struggle, but Ronda locks it in. And Stephanie taps out. The winners of the match, Kurt Angle. And Ronda Rousey. So Ronda gets that big moment in the ring. But most importantly, in this match, they did something that I haven't seen in WWE since the Attitude Era. Or the Ruthless Aggression Era, for that matter. They let the men and the women touch each other. Triple H, at one point, looked like he was going to pedigree Ronda Rousey. Ronda got to lock Triple H in an arm bar and potentially make him tap out. Kurt Angle got to lock an ankle lock in on Stephanie almost. To the point where it looked like she was going to tap before Triple H broke up. Kurt Angle got to bump heads with Ronda Rousey when Triple H fought out of the ankle lock. They let the men and the women touch each other. And guess what? Since that time, I have not seen one negative tweet. I have not seen one feminist group come up. I haven't seen any political correctness come into play since this recap, since this match aired. No one's gotten mad. And it's been about two days. If you're listening to this at the time of the recording, it's been about two days since WrestleMania. And we've yet to hear any complaints. So as far as I'm concerned... I think WWE is in a place now where we can start letting the guys and the girls 
mix it up. Where the girl, we already know the girls can hit the guys. But I think if the guys retaliate, people won't get as upset. If it's done right, if it's done properly, it will show, you know, true equality. And I feel like now we're at a point where we can be comfortable letting the guys and girls mix it up. And the women can show, look, we can fight with the men and we're not afraid to take shots from them. They can knock us down, but we'll get back up every time. Like that, to me, is strength. That, to me, makes you a solid competitor. And that is why Ronda looks like a million bucks. Because she tapped out Stephanie. But she very well could have tapped out Triple H if Stephanie hadn't been there to help. It was a jam. And Triple H, I give all the respect in the world to Triple H after this match. Because Triple H did not have to do this. But he made Ronda look great. She, He has made Ronda look great since WrestleMania 31. When The Rock, who should have been in this match, but wasn't, got involved. And Ronda hip-tossed Triple H out of the ring. Triple H has never been afraid to take a bump from Ronda Rousey. Or get choked by Ronda Rousey. Or get put through a table by Ronda Rousey. You know, we give a triple... Even though Triple H has done wonders with NXT... And it's starting to do wonders with 205 Live. We as wrestling fans used to give Triple H a lot of shit for being a politician, for burying superstars, for disrespecting the WCW guys like he did this thing three years ago. But Triple H in this moment proved that he is willing to do business. That he is not afraid to make someone else look good. And he showed that as an executive, he knows the business is not all about him anymore. So... Whatever issues I might have had with Triple H, it's all water under the bridge now after this match. Because if Triple H, and this is going to sound sexist, but I'm going to say it anyway. If Triple H is willing to make a woman look good physically, I believe Triple H at this point going forward will make anyone look good physically. Just the way it is. Kurt Angle, of course, did his thing, got his shots in, and did his part to be a good tag team partner. But this match was all about Ronda Rousey. All about Ronda. And it should have been all about Ronda. Ronda had the spotlight. She earned the spotlight. And she worked wonders. So, Ronda Rousey, I respect you. And I also respect Stephanie for not being afraid to take the necessary bumps that were needed to make this match look good. Because Triple H and Stephanie, like they said, they make the rules. And they weren't afraid to make Ronda look good. And obviously they weren't afraid to make Kurt look good either because of all the history. So the big question now is, what does the future hold for these groups? Do Triple H and Stephanie move forward? Truly? Does Ronda Rousey become public enemy number one? And will Kurt Angle remain the general manager of Monday Night Raw? Or will he get fired and demoted? Because I feel like you're going up against the authority, Kurt. They And you beat the authority. They can't let you stay as general manager. So he'll probably go down to the full... He'll probably go down to the roster. And he'll probably have a part-time schedule. Not like, uh, you know, Brock Lesnar's where he's barely on TV. Or like The Undertaker who would only appear once a year. Kurt Angle would have the kind of schedule where he shows up for... TV and pay-per-views. That's probably what he would show up for. Those kind of things. And then, of course, the live events and all that other stuff. He can stay at home for that. And hopefully, if he does become back on the active roster, they put him in contention for the Universal Championship. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening for the SmackDown Tag Team Titles. 
the Usos put the titles on the line against the New Day and the Bludgeon Brothers. Okay, first thing I want to say. I love the fact that the Bludgeon Brothers won the tag team titles. The time had come for them to do so. It was the right thing to do for business because they had already dominated so much. It was time for them to win the titles. It was time for the Usos to drop the tag titles. But at the same time, this match was boring as fuck. It was literally a snooze fest. This was the most boring match of the entire night. It wasn't the worst match of the night. I'm about to get to I'm going to get to that soon. But this was a great disappointment. It sucked. And to be honest, the New Day played a major role in making this suck. That's why I put the hashtag New Day Sucks. Because on this particular night, they did suck. They had no business being in this match. They contributed very little to this match. The only entertaining thing the Usos did in the New... No, not the Usos. The New Day. Sorry. The New Day did in this match was that they had the little midgets come out and they were doing the whole pancakes thing. That was their only moment. And to be honest, this was a serious match that didn't need all that fuckery. If anything, I would have been okay with the New Day being hosts of WrestleMania for the second year in a row. They had no business being in this match. They served no purpose other than for Harper and Rowan to double-team powerbomb Kofi and get the three count, which I didn't want to see. I wanted the Usos and the Bludgeon Brothers a straight-up fight, which they got. The Usos put up one hell of a fight against the Bludgeon Brothers. They actually had to, the Bludgeon Brothers actually had to earn this victory, which I enjoyed, but I wanted that to happen. I wanted the Usos, who've been so dominant as a tag team, to have that straight-up fight with the Bludgeon Brothers, put up a good fight, make it look like they were going to win, which they did with the splashes off the top rope, looking like they were about to win, but then they kick, but then Rowan kicks out, like, and it's great. That would have been great. But the New Day fucked it all up with their stupid shit, and of course the match in general was just boring as fuck. But at least we got new SmackDown Tag Team Champions. And on that note, we move on to the next segment. John Cena comes down to the ring, but a referee comes and tells Cena something, and Cena looks like he's going to leave. But then the lights go out, and it looks like The Undertaker is about to show up. But instead, we get Elias, who strums his guitar, talks trash to Cena. Elias comes to the ring and tells Cena to leave. Cena heads back to his seat in the crowd because he's just fucking done with everything. Elias comes in the ring, tells, you know, Cena goes out. Elias starts singing in the ring as Cena sits back down. Eventually, Cena hears enough. He hits the ring, drops Elias, hits the five-knuckle shuffle, and then the AA on Elias in the ring. The crowd chants for Undertaker, Cena, music hits. Cena walks to the black as his music plays, but then his music stops. He's looking around, wondering what's going on. The lights go out. A spotlight goes on in the ring, and we see the Undertaker's hat and coat are in the ring from when he left the, the exact same way he left them last year in Orlando when he lost to Roman Reigns. Then, lightning strikes, and the hat and jacket are gone. We go back to Cena. He looks shocked. Then all of a sudden, the bell tolls. We hear the gong. And then, fire starts shooting up out of the stage. The Undertaker 
He emerges from the smoke, and the crowd goes wild. Yes, we did. The Undertaker is in his hat and coat with the long hair. It looks like Cena has retreated back to the ring, and the Undertaker is approaching. The Undertaker slowly steps in the ring, stands in the middle as Cena backs into the corner. Undertaker moves his coat as lasers hit the ring. The Undertaker moves his hat, rolls his eyes back, the lights come on. The ref comes in the ring, and we've got a match. The Undertaker versus John Cena. This was this was shit. I'm sorry, this was shit. And I'm going to tell you why it was shit. Look, I'm not mad that The Undertaker won, you know. I'm mad at the fact that this was a squash match. The Undertaker immediately takes the fight to Cena. Undertaker runs the ropes, hits a flying clothesline on Cena, falls up with his top rope walk clothesline, hits him in the corner, does a snake eyes on the top turnbuckle, falls up with a big boot and a leg drop, then he looks for a choke slam. Cena reverses into a back suplex, goes for the five-knuckle shuffle. The Undertaker sits up and it scares him. He hits a choke slam. Then he hits a tombstone on Cena. One, two, three. The Undertaker paces in the ring as we go to replays. The black lights go on. Undertaker poses in the ring as flames shoot from the stage. Cena eventually is retreating to the back after the loss. And here's my question. Fans have been wanting to see The Undertaker versus John Cena for a long time. There have been rumors multiple, of multiple interviews where The Undertaker has stated that he wanted his last match in the WWE to be against John Cena. So we finally get this match after weeks of Cena bashing The Undertaker and you give us a squash match. First of all, the only good that comes out of this match is that the days of people bashing Cena for being a super Cena and he buries the talent and he doesn't let anybody look good and he always has to have the spotlight. That shit ends today. This is a direct message to everyone listening to this show right now. To all the marks, to all the anti-Cena people, your days of mocking John Cena are done. You're done. You try to make any claims like that today, you're a fucking idiot. Why? Because John just did the ultimate job. The ultimate job. This is the type of shit I would expect The Undertaker to do if he was in the ring with James Ellsworth. You don't do a squash with two legends like this. Especially when we've been wanting to see it. And the only reason crowds love it is because Taker won. Now again... I'm not mad The Undertaker won. If this was a big, straight-up fight, back-and-forth, edge-of-your-seat action, and The Undertaker managed to win, I'd be okay with that. Here's what I'm not, but I'm not okay with a squash match. I'm not. I don't know what the end game is here. What's the point? Where is, what purpose does this serve? It does nothing. It does nothing for John. It does nothing for Taker. It does nothing for anybody. What is the point? What is the end game? To make The Undertaker look tough after his loss to Roman Reigns? To prove that The Undertaker is a badass? We already know he's a badass. The question was whether or not he was a coward because he kept not giving Cena an answer. So, Taker wins. Then what? When's the next time we see The Undertaker? Is he going to keep on wrestling? Why? What's the end game? What else does he have left to prove? Nothing. His streak is gone. There's nothing for him to fight for anymore unless you want to give him a title. And why would we give him a championship? He only wrestles once a year. So there's no logic. There is no logic to let The Undertaker keep winning other than the fact that wrestling fans swing from the dead man's nutsack. That's the only logic that, you got, that it gives. You get that instant gratification once a year. 
And the guy who Undertaker beats, nothing good happens to that guy. No benefits happen to that guy. None. He just moves on to the next feud as if it never happened. It's not special. And this, this, and I'll tell you one thing. You ain't gonna be able to take John Cena seriously anymore. At this point, if John Cena gets into another rivalry, he's gonna have to win. Now, Cena actually has to become Super Cena now because he's already lost tons of times. So if John Cena loses again, it is going to hurt him. Cena now is at a point where he has to go back to get big, big wins under his belt. He's going to have to become Big Match John for a very, very long time until he can recover from this. Because Cena can recover from a loss to The Undertaker, but not from a squash match. That's almost impossible to recover from no matter who you are or how big you are on the totem pole. Because Cena just got humbled in the biggest way possible. So now, in order for Cena to be a credible threat to anyone on that roster, he's going to have to start racking up some big, big wins. He's going to have to start dominating. He's going to have to start beating the shit out of people. You're going to have to find a bunch of wrestlers on that roster that Cena can have good matches with, that you have no intention of making main event players, and you need to have Cena steamroll over all of them till he gets to the next guy you want to see him put over. Because at this point, getting a win over John Cena ain't going to do shit for you now. Because they just fucked him up for no reason. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We got some tag team action. Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. This right here was a phenomenal tag team match. Amazing tag team match. Highly entertaining. Daniel Bryan, of course, gets taken out at uh, after, after Daniel Bryan does his yes chance. He gets taken out, so he's kind of laying on the sidelines, getting medical attention for most of the match. Shane, however, is able to, you know, whoop some ass while still selling some of his injuries from the past. But eventually, Shane does get his shit in. He gets his DDT. He gets to do his coast-to-coast. Coast. He does everything pretty much except the leap of faith, where he... Does an elbow drop through the announce table. We don't get to see that spot. But Shane does do enough to where he is whooping some ass. Then, of course, Kevin Owens and Sammy, they start, you know, double teaming, doing everything else. And, you know, Shane trying to uh, hold his own. Eventually, uh, Daniel Bryan, uh, you know, breaks up a pin after Owens is a, fro- a top rope frog splash onto Shane. Then, eventually, Bryan gets the hot. Then, of course, after that, Bryan gets the hot tag, starts cleaning house. Does his he hits a back suplex on Kevin Owens, then a running drop kick on Sammy. He does the running drop kicks to both the guys in opposite corners. He then takes Brian takes Sammy up top, hits a Frankensteiner. Owens distracts Brian. Sammy hits the big boot on Brian for a two count. Owens comes in, gets the pop up power bomb on Brian for a two count. Shane pulls Owens outside, hits a splash off the apron on him. Sammy starts punching Brian. Brian starts no selling, lays into Sammy with punches and slaps. He then hits a knee a knee to face. Then the yes kicks. Brian follows up with a running knee to the face. And then the yes lock. Sammy taps out. And Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon win the match. And of course, my favorite spot in this match was at one point, uh, Daniel Bryan hits a drop kick off the top rope. And then he he lands on the mat. And he stays there for about a minute. So it looks like Daniel Bryan might have seriously injured himself. Like, oh crap, he's done. He, he came back too soon. Then all of a sudden he does a kip up and shows us, nope, it, it might have hurt me, but it didn't re-injure me. 
I'm still a badass. And this is a great match. And of course, Brian kisses his wife at ringside. He celebrates the victory with Shane McMahon. They stand tall in the ring as they have successfully defended SmackDown and finally rid SmackDown Live of the Sammy and Kevin show. But I truly believe this is not the end of the line for these gentlemen because I see them now going to Monday Night Raw where they need to be and we get and they get to build a name for themselves up there. They get a chance to get away from Shane and Daniel. Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan can move on and decide what they want to do. Cuz obviously, I'm pretty sure Daniel Bryan is eventually going to step down as general manager because he's already said he's tired of board meetings, he's tired of paperwork, he's tired of wearing a suit and a blazer. So now he's just going to go back to being a wrestler. Now obviously Shane will obviously might be taking time off to deal with um, you know, some nagging injuries as well as the diverticulitis that he fought with uh, during the show, which was fantastic he was able to do that. So I feel like Shane's going to take time off to uh, heal, deal with his illness and his injuries and you know, be able to feel better before he comes back. And now, of course, we need to get a new general manager for SmackDown. I don't know who the hell that's going to be. Uh, as of right now, there's rumors going around that Hulk Hogan might get the job. I would definitely love that. And then maybe on Monday Night Raw, get a different general manager. Maybe, uh, maybe Jeff Jarrett, since he's back in the good graces of the company. I could see him becoming a general manager of either Raw or SmackDown. So, you know, I would love to see that. And then... Of course, if Hogan and Jared are in there, if they're the general managers, then I'm hoping when uh, Survivor Series rolls around, we have the five-on-five match, uh, Hogan and Jared will get back in the ring for that Survivor Series match. You know, I'd love to see that. Like, you know, Hogan leading Team SmackDown and, uh, you know, Jared leading Team Raw or vice versa. If Jared's on SmackDown and Hogan's on Raw, have them get in the ring for that five-on-five match, I think would be great. So, But anyway, we'll see what happens going forward with all that. But either way, Daniel Bryan, Shane McMahon, phenomenal job. All the respect in the world for these guys because they are true warriors of the ring. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening for the Raw Women's title. Alexa Bliss puts the title on the line against Nia Jax. This match was everything it needed to be. Nia Jax attacking everyone before the bell rings, taking out Mickey. She she bombards Mickey and puts her out of the picture, which is exactly what she needed to do. Keep it one-on-one for all for just two of them. Nia Jax tosses Alexa around like a rag doll, but then, of course, uh, eventually Alexa rakes the eyes, starts working over Nia's knee, sends her outside, hits a twisted bliss on Nia on the ringside floor, which was great. So, Alexa, this match worked perfectly. Nia Jax was dominant, and Alexa Bliss did cheap tactics, legit cheap tactics, in order to chop down the bigger, you know, competitor and make herself look good in the ring. She did all that. And then, of course, she's slapping her around, telling her, starts talking trash to her. And then, of course, Nia slaps, snaps, tells her to shut up, and then starts throwing her around the ring, hits her with a power slam. Then, of course, she gets to the middle rope, hits a flying Samoa dro- Samoan drop, gets the one, two, three, the winner, and the new Raw Women's Champion, Nia Jack. And then, to put the icing on the cake, the commentators talk about how this is for every woman who has ever been uh you know body shamed to everybody that ever feels like you're different or you're a freak this is your proof that you are beautiful you are unique this is your inspiration 
That was exactly what needed to happen. Because as I mentioned before, with all the fat shaming and the humiliation and the degrading that Nia Jax went through, she had to win this match. There was no other option. Failure, loss was not an option for Nia Jax. She could not lose this match and be taken seriously ever again. And I had already said, if she had lost that match, I would have put a hashtag on Facebook that I would, I mean on Twitter, that I would make sure trended worldwide. And that hashtag would, would have been WWE endorses fat shaming. Because I believe you have to endorse, you, you endorse fat shaming if you believe Alexa Bliss should have won at WrestleMania, then you are an endorser of fat shaming. You think it is okay to fat shame little girls and grown women if you honestly think Alexa Bliss should have retained that title. It was time for her to lose it. She should have lost it a long time ago. Nia should have won a long time ago. But WrestleMania was the perfect place to give this dominant woman the championship. And I couldn't imagine it being done a better way. Nia Jax earned this championship. And now it's time for her to forge it to forge a new trail and become and get better opponents, great rivalries, and become a dominant champion for a very long time time and on that note we're going to move on to the next match of the evening a match that i am very proud to talk about because i was proven right as this was the absolute worst match of the entire night for the wwe championship aj styles defended the title against shinsuke nakamura or as i like to call him shitsuke nakamura and this match was garbage the chemistry was shit. AJ, you could tell, was frustrated. And pretty much everybody here was expecting a dream match. This was a snooze fest. And I sat through it. And trust me, as somebody who went to WrestleMania and was sitting in the stands at the Superdome, I could tell you for a fact, this match was boring. The crowd was dead. And whatever... Magic they had in Japan at Wrestle Kingdom 10 two years ago. It was what it was, and now it's over. It is over because this was all shit. In my opinion, the only good moment in the match was when Nakamura went for the Kinshasa. AJ rolled through, hit Nakamura with the Styles Clash, and gave him the one, two, three, the winner, and still WWE Champion AJ Styles. So. Although the match was absolute shit, like I knew it would be, I was still happy that AJ won the match because Nakamura does not deserve to be WWE champion at all. He's fucking garbage, and he was exposed at WrestleMania. He was exposed for the complete and total joke that he is. And then, of course, AJ celebrates his win. He helps Nakamura to his feet. They hug in the ring before leaving. Nakamura takes the WWE title belt from the ref. He gets on one knee and hands it to AJ. AJ takes the belt, goes to hug Nakamura, but Nakamura hits AJ with a low blow instead. Nakamura beats down AJ now and repeatedly stomps on his head as the crowd boos. Nakamura beats AJ out of the ring, stomps on him at ringside, hits the King Sasha on him on the floor before leaving. And um, all I got to say is, Steven called the low blow a few seconds before it hits. But all I'm going to say is this. Giving Nakamura a heel turn is not going to change the fact that he is shit. He's boring in the ring. He's boring on the mic. The fucker can barely speak English. 
He's a glorified entrance. So if you take, so if you make him a heel and you take away his entrance, you've pretty much taken away the only good thing Nakamura has, and the only chance he has of getting over. So as far as I'm concerned, a heel turn is worthless for Nakamura because he can't articulate it. So really, what's the point? What's he gonna do? Walk around the ring, walk around the building, and give everyone the finger? How the fuck am I supposed to take? I couldn't even take him seriously as a babyface. I'm supposed to take him seriously as a heel? He still knows speaky to goddamn English. So how the fuck am I supposed to listen to what anything he has to say? He's like, I don't care about the fan. You never believe in Nakamura. I was king of Thong style long before I came to this crap country of America. That's that's pretty much what the fuck we're gonna get with a heel turn with this motherfucker. But anyway, on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. The bar versus Braun Strowman and his mystery partner. And the bar comes out with a Mardi Gras float. They come out to the ring. Strowman makes his entrance, chases off the Mardi Gras characters, pushes the float off the stage. Strowman on the mic and says his partner tonight isn't anyone in the back. It's someone in the crowd. He walks into the crowd looking for someone, picks a small kid, brings him into the ring, asks him his name. He says, Nicholas. Braun tells them to stand on the apron and let him do the rest. The opening bell sounds. Strowman starts tossing Sheamus around the ring. Zara comes in, starts hitting Strowman, but Strowman grabs him and choke slams him. Sheamus breaks up the pin. They start double teaming Braun. Sheamus falls up with a flying knee drop off the top rope. Cesaro hits a swanton bomb off of Sheamus' shoulders. Strowman blocks a double team attempt and hits a crossbody on both Sheamus and Cesaro. Sheamus charges at Braun, but Braun dumps him in onto the ring post and to the outside. Strowman tags in the kid, but the kid is scared of Cesaro, so Braun tags back in. Braun hits the running power slam on Cesaro, and Strowman is now tag team champions with Nicholas. So, there you have it. The winners of the match, Braun, Strowman, and Nicholas, they high-five They high five the fans, and then head backstage with their tag title belts. So, Nicholas is a Raw tag team champion. Now, here's the thing. Obviously, from a fan standpoint, it's pretty cool to see, you know? Obviously, this little kid, whether he's a Make-A-Wish kid or just a random kid that was picked in general, this is a great moment for Nicholas. So, I don't necessarily want to shit on Nicholas's moment, so I will say it was a great moment for Nicholas. He got an ovation from the crowd. They loved it. They loved Nicholas. He was fantastic. He was a good, he was a good support about the whole thing. So, I'm not going to be mad at the kid. I'm not mad at the kid. You know, if I was a kid and I was in that situation, I would do the same fucking thing. I would proudly hold that Raw Tag Team title. I don't care what the marks say. I have an issue with booking. The booking committee. You're going to tell me you had weeks and months to find a tag team partner for Braun Strowman. You wait till the second to last match of the night to have us find out who this partner is. And you give him a fourth grader? named Nicholas. Are you fucking kidding me? What is the point? Again, is Nicholas going to show up on Raw? Is Nicholas going to be in the corner of Braun Strowman? Here's another thing. If you're going to use the kid, at least let him get the win. Braun Strowman should have hit the running power slam on Cesaro, tagged in Nicholas. Nicholas should have got on top of Cesaro. The referee should have counted one, two, three. At least let the kid get the pin. Instead of having him just sit there while Braun does whatever he wants. 
because Braun legally was supposed to get a tag team partner. So what happens? Are they going to get stripped of the belts? Is Nicholas going to be in his corner the whole time? Will Braun have to go find a legit tag team partner? Will Kurt have to come out and say, look, this is a liability. We can get sued. This kid's not even old enough to make the decision to wrestle. Did his parents sign a contract? Are we even allowed to have this match? Like, it made no sense. This was basically something they did to entertain the crowd, but had no long-term decision on how they were going to do it. They, I feel like they just wanted to put Braun Strowman in something to entertain him while they finished the rivalry with Roman and Brock. That's what they were trying to do. But I thought Braun Strowman was going to have a good, solid tag. Is Braun going to have a good, solid tag team title reign? Now it doesn't even look that way because he got this bratty little kid. Got- Not bratty, but he got this little kid with him. And don't get me wrong. Like I said, I know I said bratty little kid, but I'm just angry. I don't, I'm not going to, I don't, again, I don't want to make fun of Nicholas. I'm sorry I said that. I really am. You know, because like I said, you know, he got put in a situation that any kid would have killed to have. Hell, I'm 31 years old. If I had been sitting ringside or in the front row or or on the floor seats, I would have been more than happy to do it. But what really makes me mad, what really makes my blood boil is when I found out, and I found this out from a couple fans that were watching on TV, that No Way Jose was in the fucking crowd. Why didn't they just call up No Way Jose? Why not make him Braun Strowman's partner? I mean, hell, Braun Strowman used to be a rosebud. He doesn't mind doing a little dancing, a little celebrating. Plus, if the day ever came where they lost the tag belts, then No Way Jose could take the pin, Braun could turn on No Way Jose, and then go back to fighting for the Universal Championship. There was a method to this madness. There was a way that they seriously could have made this work. But they chose not to. They went with this shit, and which has no long-term decision on it, and basically just looks stupid in the end. Alright, and on that note, we move on to the main event of the evening for the Universal Championship. Brock Lesnar defends the title against Roman Reigns. This is by far... The shittiest WrestleMania main event I have seen since WrestleMania 27. Not since WrestleMania 27 has a WrestleMania main event made me so angry. Now here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Here's why I'm mad. Not only did Brock Lesnar retain the title, but Roman Reigns got little to no offense in this match. He got bitch slapped in this match. He got tossed around the ring like a rag doll with German suplexes and multiple F5s. One of which got him put to the announce table. He took six F5s. He was busted open. He was bleeding out of the top of his head, and which we found out, which we, we which I found out through a, a rumor online recently that apparently um, this was not supposed to happen and Vince was pissed about it because WWE has a no-blood policy, so apparently Brock's unhappy about it. I mean, Vince's unhappy about it and Brock's mad that Vince is mad. At one point, he threw the Universal title either at Vince or against the wall. That's how much rage Brock Lesnar had when Vince lost his shit because they don't know if... We don't know if that blood spot was planned or if Brock went into business for himself to kind of give Roman, you know, bust him open the hard way to make him look like a badass. Because eventually, Brock was getting frustrated with Roman constantly kicking out. And we were all loving it. Roman was kicking out of every single move. Roman was looking strong. 
Roman was looking tough and he didn't get the win, which is stupid because why? What is the point in allowing Brock Lesnar to remain universal champion? What kind of money are you expecting to draw now with Brock Lesnar? He's already faced every credible challenger you can give him. This is the man who conquered The Undertaker's undefeated streak at WrestleMania. He won the WWE Championship by bitch-slapping John Cena. Pretty much what he did to Roman Reigns at WrestleMania is almost identical to what he did to John Cena at SummerSlam four years ago. He took him to Suplex City and embarrassed him and established dominance in the ring. And over the years, there have been so many guys they thought were going to beat him. They put him in the ring with CM Punk. He fell. They put him in the ring with um, Triple H. You know, he got the win at WrestleMania, but then he lost at Extreme Rules. And he also got his arm broken at the SummerSlam prior. John Cena got one victory at Extreme Rules, but lost everything else. You know, The Undertaker, he was able to get one win at SummerSlam, but then lost in the end at Hell in a Cell. Just, you know, Bray Wyatt, he got decimated by Brock Lesnar. Everybody that has stood in his path, even Braun Strowman, who would have these great moments in the buildup going to WrestleMania, but then, I mean, go, I mean, going to the pay-per-view with Brock, and then Brock would win. Samoa Joe, same thing. All these guys, they tried to build up to take on Brock Lesnar, and every single one of them got their asses kicked, yet they've been grooming Roman Reigns for this moment. He was supposed to have this moment three years ago. But when Brock re-signed his contract, what did they do? They had Seth Rollins cash in the briefcase, hit the curb stomp on Roman, pin him 1-2-3 to win the belt so it wouldn't hurt Brock Lesnar, but the title could stay on TV. They've been grooming Roman for this moment, getting him victories over Triple H. He beat The Undertaker. He beat John Cena. They de- Roman Reigns was dominant. They were grooming him for this moment only to take it away from him and there's no reason why. But it looks like Brock Lesnar might have signed a new contract with WWE. But why? What's left for Brock Lesnar to do? If Roman Reigns can't take the belt off of Lesnar, who can? Unless you plan on having Kurt Angle go back into wrestling and have him beat Brock Lesnar, I don't know who else can at this juncture. I don't know. I honestly have no fucking idea. WWE has backed themselves into an awkward corner where if they don't find somebody soon that can take that belt off of Brock Lesnar, the only option they're going to have is for Brock Lesnar to vacate the title. To pretty much throw the title on the ground and say, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm going back to UFC. That's it. Or have WWE strip Brock Lesnar the championship if he decides to go back to UFC. Because at this point, what else are you going to do? What else? You just going to have Brock Lesnar be Universal Champion forever? Because I don't know who else is credible enough to beat him. I don't know who else you got. But I'll tell you one thing. Roman Reigns is obviously not the top dog in WWE anymore. And here's my question. If you had no intention of giving the title to Roman Reigns, then why did you have him beat The Undertaker at last year's Mania? What was the point in allowing Roman Reigns a chance to get a victory over The Undertaker if you weren't going to push him to the moon? Why make him one of the two guys to beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania if you weren't going to give him the title and especially if you weren't going to retire The Undertaker? That whole WrestleMania 33 match is now shit. 
Back then, I didn't have a problem with it, but now I do because I see the aftermath, and it was a waste of time. You built up Roman for nothing. You gave The Undertaker a loss for nothing. It was all for nothing because you screwed the title, you screwed the fans, and you screwed Roman Reigns. You built this guy up to be your top guy. You got him booed out of buildings because of fast pace, because of because of aggressive pushing, and because of poor decisions. And now Roman gets no reward for what he goes through. For the fact that this man is getting booed out of buildings. The fact this man can get injured, whether it's storyline-wise or not. And crowds chant, you deserve it. They believe this man deserves to be injured. They believe this man deserves to die. This man deserves to lose his job. And the only reason they hate him is because of the way WWE has booked him to be. And it's blown up in their face because they don't want to accept it. This main event is a disgrace to WWE and it's a disgrace to professional wrestling in general. And whoever made this call deserves to be fired and deserves to be taken or and if not fired, then at least taken away from all WrestleMania bookings cuz this was an utter disgrace. It was a disgrace. I was disgusted with this match. I was more disgusted by this than I was anything else that happened on that card. This was a disgrace to the WWE. Roman deserves better than this. The crowd deserved better than this. And we deserve to finally have a champion who's on TV every week instead of the guy who sits at home and collects a paycheck. It was okay for a period of time, but this was the time. This was the time for Roman to stand tall and for Brock Lesnar to ride off into the sunset, never to be heard from again, because he brings nothing else to the table. There's nobody, there's no other dance partner for him to have, unless you recycle the same big men you've had him fighting for the past several fucking years since he's been back in WWE. This is a disgrace, and I couldn't be more disappointed in WWE. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and that will conclude my recap of WrestleMania 34. I hope you guys enjoyed this classic episode that I put out for you guys. Uh, we took a little stroll down memory lane. Now, obviously, I know at the beginning of this, it says that I'm going to mention the shenanigans from New Orleans on next week's show. Obviously, if you're following us from the old days on SoundCloud, you already heard those stories. Obviously, if you're on the multiple platforms that we're on now, you're probably not familiar with those stories. But uh, obviously, next week, I will not be sharing them because next week will be another uh, classic pay-per-view review that comes out. But if you would like to hear the stories, please let us know. Go on our social media, message us, DM us, comment. Let us know if you really want to hear the stories from New Orleans. I'll be more than happy to tell them. So on that note, make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcast, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there or be a super fan and follow us on all five hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at theboochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel for all of our video content. That's where we keep it all. And of course, hit that subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified so you'll know when the new content will be posted. Also, follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash 
Slash the Boochcast, where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, July the 30th for WWE SummerSlam. Now, one of two things going to happen with this episode. Either I'll be doing one with uh, Buff Bagwell uh, when we're in Nashville, Tennessee. I know a while back on a couple of these episodes you've heard that we were going to be in Tampa. Well, recently we got invited by Conrad Thompson to go to Nashville. So we decided, fuck the Tampa Bay Comic Con. We're going to StarCast in Nashville, Tennessee. So that's where we'll be. So we either do a live watch party from there or the team here in Georgia will be doing a watch party by themselves. So either be the team here in Georgia or me with Buff and possibly Michael and anybody else that wants to join us uh, for, a, for a SummerSlam watch party. But just want to let people know we will not be at Tampa Bay Comic Con this year. Instead, we'll be at StarCast in Nashville, Tennessee. Also, check out our D&D show, which is coming out later this year. And, of course... Make sure you check out the Boochcast Booking Battle, which will be coming soon. That'll be myself and Elvis Zelensky putting out a roster of um, wrestlers. He'll have a roster. I'll have a roster. We'll be competing on the My GM mode to see who can get the better ratings and who is the better Booker Man. That's on twitch.tv slash the Boochcast. And of course, you can support the Boochcast by going to anchor.fm slash the Boochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. The first level is 99 cents per month. This is for people out there who don't have a lot of money to spend but still want to help us out. Because we know you guys are hardworking men and women out there. You got bills to pay. You got mouths to feed. The last thing we would ever ask you guys to do is break the bank or sacrifice a payment or feel like you need to be pressured into helping us out. We would never, ever do that to our fans. So if you can't give us any money, we understand completely. If all you can do is listen to the show and spread the link to everyone you know, you are still helping us out and it is still appreciated. But if you like to put a little skin in the game, the 99 cents level is for you. Why is that? Because it is 99 cents. You're not going to miss it, but it's going to help us out a great deal because every little bit helps keep the Booch cast thriving. Now, if you got some extra money you want to spend, the second level you can go to is for $4.99 per month. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content at Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99. That's right. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since sold to the Peacock, you got to know where to put that $9.99. Send $9.99. Bring it over here. We got better content than Network. And unlike the WWE, we actually care about our fans and are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You have the option of paying with a credit card or with GPay. And the best part is, all the money we raise from this show goes back into the show in some capacity. We use the money to upgrade our equipment, we use it to bring in bigger name guests, pay our bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host you deserve, and you believe they're going to be paid for their hard work, anchor.fm slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then, if there's any money left over... When it's all said and done, we use the rest of it to feed Zach ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Booch Cast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! <laughs>
Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. Eddie. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.